This episode contains discussions of mental health, grad school, the COVID-19 pandemic, and discusses suicide and suicide prevention. If you or someone you know needs help, there are resources available to help you. If you are a graduate student, SOGS.ca slash support resources provides a list of mental health services located on and off campus. Alternatively, the description box contains resources discussed in the episode. Listener discretion is advised. show the Society of Graduate Students at Western University and we are doing a special episode today. I'm Elizabeth Muller, your host, and I'm here with my co-host Francesco Colosimo and we're joined today by Katrina Smazic. Hi Katrina. Hello. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm just wondering to start if you feel comfortable telling us a little bit about your background and a little bit about why you wanted to talk to us today about World Suicide Day. Sure. So my background is basically psychology and neuroscience. So I finished my uh, MSc in neuroscience at Western in 2019, and I started my PhD in philosophy uh, in January 2020. So essentially, I'm sort of continuing my project on depression and um, the neurobiological basis of depression and the conceptual nature of what depression actually is. Uh, in the philosophy department um, currently. So my, my interest in suicide prevention has stemmed for both academic as well as personal reasons. And it's always been something that I've been passionate about and something that's been close to my heart um, ever since I was a kid and learned what suicide meant and what it was. And I'm really excited for the opportunity to talk a little bit about it uh, in GradCast. No, that's fantastic. And it's a really important issue. And I think it's, you know, it's really cool that you study it from, you know, an academic point of view, but also have a personal connection to it as well. And, um, you know, if you feel comfortable speaking about it, you know, what led to an academic pursuing of, you know, some of these issues? I guess I was like really bullied during um, elementary school and that sort of instilled the passion, I guess, uh, in me to look more into mental health and mental illness and just be compassionate about people and their their circumstances. So in high school, I was part of the peer support team and it sort of just went on from there. Uh, took a lot of undergraduate classes um, on abnormal psychology and things like that. And it just sort of developed uh, from that, yeah. That's really interesting. And is there something that, um, you know, you've, you've kind of started to do a little bit of uh, your, your research and I'm wondering you know can you tell us a little bit about um, a little bit more about like why this topic is not just important to, to you but like why you think it's important in general. There's always one little anecdote that I always bring up when when I think about or when I talk about suicide even like on my own social media um, and it's the fact that I'm not actually sure if they changed it but this used to be the case where if you try to type in suicide, 
um, when you're like in a text message, let's say for instance, on an iPhone and you misspell it, let's say, it wouldn't autocorrect to suicide. Like that wasn't part of the iPhone dictionary. Wow. I think it's, I think it's better now. I think it's actually part of the dictionary, which is great. Um, I'm not sure about the autocorrect portion of it, but I know that at least at some point that wasn't a thing. And there was always this idea that if you, I mean, obviously there's the stigma surrounding it, but associated with that, there was the idea that if you said the word suicide um, too loudly, I guess, or to the wrong person, you would put the idea into that person's head or you would give people ideas or it wasn't something that should be discussed, right? It was sort of something that was taboo and, and to be avoided at all costs. And really that just made it a lot harder for the open, honest, direct conversations about mental health and about suicide. It's something that you don't really see handled well in media. Um, it's something that is still not really super handleable in media. And there's just so hush hush. And if you're feeling um, suicidal, if you have suicidal ideation, it's difficult to begin with to, to speak up about it. These sorts of conversations and bringing awareness about it and talking about it in such a public and candid way, um, it's just really important for breaking the stigma and showing people that it's okay and that while if you have suicidal ideation, obviously that's not great and you should try and seek help if that's something that's feasible for you, but normalize it in the extent that it's not all that abnormal and seeking help isn't something to be ashamed about. And it's these types of conversations that really help to, to make that clear to people. Now, Katrina, you you mentioned that, you know, suicide and maybe some other you know, mental health issues aren't really handled well in the media. And you kind of touched upon it, but, um, you know, how is it handled in, in a bad way or, or why do you think it's handled so badly? And, you know, how could how could we do better, especially in, in discussing these topics, especially in the media? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is sort of the terminology that we use when we're discussing suicide. Um, and I'm not sure if any of you actually have listened to this or if this is as popular a thing in, in other people's lives as it was in mine, but I was a really big fan of BuzzFeed Unsolved and I still am. And obviously with the nature of BuzzFeed Unsolved with looking at um, unsolved crimes or like cold cases and things like that, uh, suicide, will come up every so often. Um, and in, in the series, when they're talking about it, um, they use the term commit suicide. And every time that they bring it up or discuss it like that, it just irks me because it's not theoretical, it's not really the right language to use. Um, especially in Canada, the public health agency put out a notice um, about the proper language to use that's less stigmatizing. Um, so if you think about it, commit, it's related to crime, right? And it's the language of commit suicide is archaic and it's an artifact of when suicide was illegal, where if you happened to survive a suicide attempt, you would be put in jail um, or tried for self-murder, hence suicide, um, instead of actually getting the treatment that, that you would need. Um, so 
now that it's decriminalized and it's no longer illegal, we really shouldn't be saying terms like, oh, so-and-so committed suicide. Um, it should really be so-and-so died by suicide or died of suicide or from suicide, for instance. Our language should reflect the fact that it's usually from an illness. So you wouldn't say that somebody committed cancer or somebody committed COVID, for instance. You'd say that they would they died by COVID or they died from cancer. Um, and we really should use the language that uh, reflects the fact that suicide is more similar to cancer than it is to, to homicide, for instance, right? Um, so that's the main thing that comes to mind. It's just the fact that it's it's not really discussed well. I think it's also sometimes sensationalized in the media or we don't really discuss it a whole lot or in a way that's productive, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really important point about the language. And language does change over time for sure. And you know, we're we're here today on broadcast and we're thinking about, you know, um students and you know certainly some of the stress and mental health challenges that we all know kind of come into grad school and like I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about like how you think we can continue to have these really important conversations around mental health and how we can move away from that being stigmatized so much. Yeah that's a good question that is not super easy to answer. <laughs> um, I think Western uh, specifically is sort of doing better in terms of graduate school mental health and like graduate student mental health and what they need for their resources. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily sure that they publicize those resources properly or widely enough. Also having supervisors that are comfortable with having these types of conversations with their students, I think would also be incredibly important. And not every student is going to be comfortable sharing that type of information with their supervisor, but I think that these are important discussions to be had. Like for instance, if you're sick with a cold or the flu and you can't go in, you're likely to really have no comms or less comms about uh, telling your supervisor or your lab mates, for instance, that like, hey, I won't be in because I have the flu or whatever the case may be. Whereas if let's say you woke up and you're having a panic attack, and you just do not feel well enough to go in and do work. Or if you woke up and you just could not get out of bed at all, it was just a really bad day. Um, and sometimes that can happen. It, it seems like we're more likely to make excuses, for lack of a better term, for those types of instances versus the instances of like the flu, for instance, or like, oh, I broke my leg, I can't come in for, a day or two while I get a cast, um, things like that. And like, or if you're on pain medication, um, that seems to be something that people are fairly okay with sharing with others, uh, especially if it'll make you like a little bit foggy or cloudy mentally. Um, that could be something that you share with your profs. That might be something that you share with your supervisors, depending on the, how long you're actually taking the medication for. And I've always been a firm believer in telling my supervisors when I start a new medication a new antidepressant or um, a new psychotropic or psychiatric medication because I know that it has a huge impact on my productivity and and how I feel as well as 
sort of my my concentration level and things like that and they sort of need not necessarily need to know but i think that it would, it's important for them to know sort of where i'm coming from so i think if more supervisors would make it explicit that they're open to those types of conversations and sort of reiterating to to their trainees that it's okay that there there's gonna be no judgment if if these conversations happen um i think that would definitely be a lot more beneficial as well as obviously uh, publicizing more what what resources are available for graduate students to to help them along with whatever life may throw at them yeah i think that's a really important point around talking about it and you know that that it, it's sometimes seen as oversharing if you you know even though it's not you're just saying the same way you'd say i'm broken my legs which are simple um hey, I'm, I'm starting medication or I'm, I'm having a really difficult time today um that it's kind of like well that's oversharing or that's private but that's the whole i think that's the whole problem is that like this is mental health is sort of seen as this private thing you deal with on your own that you don't talk about it with other people and i think like your example is really important around like making it okay to have those conversations and to say when you're not okay yeah exactly you're not really expected to suffer in silence so to speak when you break your leg or when you let's say puncture a lung or something right it's sort of expected you're going to complain about pain whereas if you are really anxious in a social gathering or if if you're really anxious about meeting new people let's say or if you're just having a really bad mood day mentally or if you're really, really struggling with suicidal ideation and stress and all those things, you're sort of expected to suffer in silence. And that just makes it so much worse. Yeah, no. Well, firstly, I, I think it's fantastic that you have such great rapport with your supervisor. Um, you know, that that kind of open-ended and, and constant and, you know, honest communication is, um, you know, not always the case, um, as we know with, with graduate students. So I think that's great. And you know, we talked about and you talked about, you know, some things that we can do to maybe make things a little bit better, honestly, but, you know, graduate life and, and being a graduate student can be stressful. So, you know, from from your perspective, what do you think are some factors that are, you know, associated with graduate school and being a student that may lead to, you know, a negative mental state? I think it, it's pretty well known among graduate students and probably even among faculty members to a certain degree that graduate school and academia in general is just not the healthiest place to be. Um, it, it can be pretty toxic and it, it's not really the, the best place for, for making you feel good about yourself and <laughs> giving you opportunities for self-confidence and increasing and boosting your self-esteem. Um, it seems more likely that you're going to uh, lose some self-confidence, especially if you uh, move to a bigger university or a more challenging program than what you're used to in your undergrad or a demanding university after high school, right? The, the challenges there and like the imposter syndrome that I'm, I don't know a huge amount about imposter syndrome itself, but I do know that that's a huge uh, challenge and a huge struggle for many graduate students. And I think I sort of experienced a little bit of that um, to a certain degree as well. And it's just, it seems like, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's also doing her PhD except in physics at a different university. And she's one of the most brilliant people that I know. 
And she mentioned that grad school and academia after graduate school is like, it's always dangling a carrot in front of you. You're always trying to reach that carrot. You're always trying to get to the next step, or you're always trying to be better than this other person that you're competing against, or you seem, it, it, there's a perceived competition, I guess I should say. And it's like, once you get your master's, then it's like, okay, the next carrot is the PhD. And then the next carrot after that is a postdoc. And then the next, next carrot after that is tenure track and things like that. And it just, there's always something that you're fighting for. And that's not necessarily the, I mean, I guess to some extent that might be something that pushes people to thrive, but it can also have the, the opposite effect where it just feels like you're constantly trying to be better, to achieve something that always seems just out of reach and the pressure to, to sort of meet expectations, whether they're expectations that you, you're putting on yourself or that you, you think that your supervisors have of you, it's not great. It, it just puts a lot of pressure <laughs> uh, on, on the student and on yourself. And it, the, this, the work-life balance is just a thing that is almost non-existent uh, in grad school. Yeah, and I think um, it's an interesting thing, too, because I think there's a lot of expectations on us in grad school to just know um, a lot of this hidden curriculum um, without actually being formally taught it. But then I think, like, there's a lot of, um, like, advantages that you, if you don't know how to sort of navigate the system, that you may not be able to sort of like avail yourself of and then that sort of just sets you up to feel even worse because you're like oh everybody else I know is you know applying to all these conferences or like they've been publishing how are they getting there but it's it's often not explicitly taught to us yeah the publishing thing definitely it's like it, if there's other people that in your lab for instance or in your research group that have publications or you always hear about publications being important so if you don't have publications then you just feel like you're behind, even though you might not be. Um, and also depends on your goals too, because if you don't want to continue uh, in academia, then obviously publications may not be as, as important in your, in your professional and academic career um, trajectory. But it's still, while you're in that environment, right? It feels like this weird sort of monkey on your back like you you don't have publications yet you need to have publications in the pandemic um everybody was experiencing we were going through something together but everyone was experiencing it very differently and i think you know depending on your access to technology and your home situation and your employment situation and the list goes on that so impacted your mental health and i wonder sort of like very briefly what your thoughts are on the whole we're in this together yeah the I mean, to a certain extent, it's kind of right. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, my situation living at home alone with my cat is very different to someone's situation where they're living at home with two young kids and potentially a partner or no partner um, and having to homeschool them as well as do their own work on top of that. Like those are two completely and vastly different um, situations that, well, generally speaking, it's the same situation because we're stuck at home for the same reason, but those are two vastly different experiences and they're going to impact people 
in vastly different ways. Um, so obviously relationships with children, I can't imagine how people or parents have been dealing with the past year and a bit that, especially if they have mental health issues, I have no idea how I, I don't envy their position at all. Um, but for someone living alone, it, it was really difficult, or I guess it has been really difficult to feel okay, I guess, um, just because, you know, you don't have your usual outlets or like one, one way of, for me to be really productive is to go out a to a coffee shop, for instance, right, and, and do my reading there or do my, my writing uh, there. I think most of my thesis was actually, my master's thesis was written at Black Walnut. <laughs> um, and that's just, I'll have to try it. I'm not in London yet. Yeah, Black Walnut actually doesn't have Wi-Fi. So while- Perfect for writing. Exactly, it's great for <laughs> writing. Um, so it, it it's great to have like that environment about people, like the feeling that people are gonna watch you and judge you if you're not doing your work where they actually aren't doing that, but it's a, it's a motivator. Um, and obviously I haven't had that. So sort of coping mechanisms that, that I and other people were using to try and be productive and to try to, to maximize their potential to thrive, um, some of those were sort of taken away and there weren't many other alternatives. <laughs> it was just work from home and try to maximize your productivity uh, from home and make a workspace that's just workspace at home. And um, that can be difficult for a lot of people. Like if you're in a one bedroom apartment, it's like my dining room is my workspace. Um, so it, it definitely has impacted us in very different ways. The, the we're in this together, I think is a good sort of slogan in general, but it's a little empty. <laughs> And, you know, I, I think those are great points. Unfortunately, we are wrapping up to the end. So just wondering very quickly if you can share any resources at Western here that we would uh, want to direct people to if they are needing support. Yeah. So if you just want to have a chat um, quickly uh, about anything that might be bothering you, um, graduate peer support uh, has peer supporters, other graduate students to listen um, they are trained in in talking to people about these things, and they can be sort of a, a stepping stone to getting you other resources. Um, if you're finding that your struggles are a little bit more intense, you can get an appointment with a general practitioner at Student Health Services, and they will either prescribe you certain medications like antidepressants if you need, but they're also super, super willing to refer you to a psychiatrist. And psychiatrists are actually on staff um, at Student Health Services. So you can actually see a psychiatrist regularly, um, which is included in our SOGS dental and health plan. All student health services are. If you're having specific issues regarding academics or needing to finish thesis or whatever, whatever your situation might be, um, looking at learning development and Learning Development and Success Center, they have counselors as well as psychotherapists there for actually helping you with time management. And you can create an appointment with them and they'll see you uh, as often as you sort of need. That was the, the psychotherapist that I see there is incredible. Uh, her involvement um, helped me a lot or her help helped me a lot uh, when I was trying to finish my master's thesis. So I definitely recommend 
that service hands down. Uh, if it's more of a crisis situation, there's also student psychological services. Um, they don't really offer long-term counseling services, but if you're in crisis, they will help you. They do have walk-in or drop-in hours. Uh, I believe that starts in the morning. So there are lots of, um, there are lots of resources on campus. There's also, SOGS has this new Empower Me um, thing that they have where you can access nutritionists or counselors, or psychiatrists um, free of charge 24 seven. There's also a bunch of crisis lines that are available as well that you can just Google. Um, again, I'm not sure how useful they might be because of the call volumes having increased, um, but they're worth a shot if you do need them. And there's also, um, if you look up psychology today, they do have a, a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist counselor search tool. So you can look up all of the therapists that are from, that are working in London, Ontario, for instance, and it tells you what their specialties are, what sort of therapies they actually work with, if they do cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT or interpersonal um, therapy, if they do dialectical behavioral therapy, it'll say all of those. So if you have a preference, you can do that as well. And finally, the last thing that I will say is, even though it's slightly potentially more stressful doing this now uh, with the pandemic raging on still, I guess, but there is absolutely no shame in taking yourself to the emergency room if you need to. Um, if you feel like you are in crisis and you are in, um, if you are scared that you're going to legitimately hurt yourself in some significant way, there is no shame at all in going to um, the emergency room, going to the hospital, or just calling 911 for yourself. Great. Thank you so much, Katrina. That, those were really helpful resources and great tips. You've been listening to GradCast, a podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. We've been with Katrina Smazic today, a special episode on World Suicide Day. I've been your host, Elizabeth Muller. I was joined by Francesca Blossomo, and the episode was produced by Reese Patterson. If you want to see more of our episodes, you can go to our YouTube channel or gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to get in touch with us, maybe you want to be on the show, contact us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thanks and have a good one.